Hey folks, just a little content note. We're talking about some very intense and taboo stuff in this episode, so I wanted to give you a heads up in case any of this stuff is triggering for you and you want to skip this one. This is going to be a long list. Here's some of the stuff we talk about. Daddy kink, race play, cannibalism, sex with animals, blood, vomiting, scat, murder, incest, drugs and drugging, alcohol, sleepy sex, forced or coerced bisexual fantasy, queer bashing, gay bashing, homophobia, underage sex, rape fantasy, non-consensual spanking, consensual non-consent play, date rape, trauma, and coercion. I also want to say none of the stuff in this episode is stuff we're encouraging you to do necessarily. Um, So if any of this stuff sounds dangerous or risky to you, you're probably right and you might want to talk about it with a doctor and give it some serious consideration. Hope you enjoy this one. Welcome to the Dildorks, dorky discourse on sex, dating, and masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist, a sex blogger, and I call my non-binary partner Daddy. Who are you, friend? I'm Bex. I'm a sex educator and a sex blogger, and I don't know. I'm I'm going to probably fall into saying some wild shit this episode. (laughs) I don't... It's just... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we're talking about taboo kinks this episode, which honestly we discuss on many of our episodes. We've done episodes about age play and altered states and um, a number of other things that uh, are relevant to our discussion today. But I did just read this incredible book by Maulina Williams, who we're both obsessed with. (laughs) Uh, And it's called The Toy Bag Guide to Playing with Taboo. And I was prepared for a whole bunch of race play stuff because I know Malina is really into race play. Mm-hmm. Um, as a black woman who like is married to a white man who was raised by literal Nazis, like I, I know that like this has been part of their dynamic, and that's been really interesting for me to learn about because um, mm-hmm. I found it very challenging as a concept, and I think she explains it very well. But um, one of the like I was really surprised by the breadth of things she talks about in that book like she also goes into cannibalism and sex with animals and um vomiting which i know is tricky for you and (laughs) yeah uh blood including menstrual blood uh and Mm. just like pretty much any oh scat i mean of course right Um, naturally I'm making a list of things that I need to mention in the content note for this episode, which you'll have heard earlier. And it's just, I'm like writing while I'm talking. I'm like, oh, Honestly, that could just, that list could just be an outline for this episode. Like you didn't need to write questions. You could have just written the content note. <laughs> yeah, that's usually not how it's done, right? But that, yeah, kind of a top-down approach. Yeah, so I was really, really impressed and amazed by this book. And if you're at all interested in like any of these kinks, I would really recommend checking it out. Um, because Molina is not necessarily being like, you should play with these things. What she's more yeah. saying is like, uh, maybe some of the cultural taboos around these things aren't entirely founded or aren't entirely logically sound. Like, one of the things she talks about is, like, why is there such a huge taboo about sex with animals when we're so okay with keeping animals in captivity and also, like, murdering them to eat them? Which, mm-hmm. uh, honestly, for me as a person who considers bestiality a hard limit but also eats meat, I was like, wow, like wow, you really <laughs> called me out and I don't actually have a good, you know, logically sound answer for that question. Yeah. Whew. But so to go back quite a ways, like how would you define taboo and like what does that mean to you? I think that's really interesting, right? Because like taboo is a very relative term. Yes. Um, Culturally think, relative, personally relative. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and uh, Molina talks about, so I've read the beginning of that book so many times, uh, <laughs> but I'm really bad at remembering to go back to reading a book. So I'll read like a couple hours and then not touch it for weeks. Yeah. So I've never finished it. Uh, but I think I remember her talking in the beginning about um, 
the origins of it as something uh, being, like, religiously relevant um, and, like, uh, forbidden or whatever. Yeah, like, the um, concept of a taboo kind of originated, according yeah. to her telling, um, as, like, a thing that was uh, mandated by a religion or by a culture that you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. So some really common ones were, like, uh, don't have sex with family members because, like, there are both, like, religious and, like, medical reasons why that could be problematic. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, of course, a lot of taboos are related to health. Like, if you do scat play or uh, religion like bodily fluid stuff sometimes there are risks there um but some of the taboos that we have like there aren't actually that much like basis for yeah for like especially since a lot of the things that we'll be talking about that we identify as taboos in the kink world um you may not be doing them literally as they are when we identify them as taboos. So, like, for example, an incest kink does not necessarily mean you want to have sex with your actual family members. It may mean that you want to role-play that. I would say that that's far more common, Mm -hmm. Um, which is a part of the reason, for example, why we see um, terms like stepsister and stepmom come up again and again and again in the uh, Pornhub top uh, search results lists because there's, like, an element of the taboo of incest there, but without actual incest i mean especially yeah. since the performers themselves in real life are not even step related um but yeah it's like it kind of like suggests that or gestures at this taboo without actually literally living it out yeah and i think it's fascinating the range of uh because vanilla folks aren't necessarily uh unfamiliar with the idea of playing with taboo right Mm -hmm. they do you know the schoolgirl skirt dress up right um or like the idea of like maybe getting caught or like even you know people who have fun doing like particularly filthy things when they're visiting family for the holidays or whatever right? right like they're getting off on the idea of oh we shouldn't be oh better not um and that is definitely playing with taboo. Yeah. Whereas you ask kinksters and like you go all the way to the range of things like playing with race play or playing with bestiality uh, or playing with like homophobia and queer bashing, I've heard uh, as a thing that folks do. Yeah, um, totally. Where these are like these really, really he- culturally heavy things. Yeah. Uh, and we look at that as playing with taboo so there really is like a really wide spectrum i think of how this can manifest in people's lives Mm -hmm. and i think culturally we look at them as two very different things as like one is fine normal like (laughs) of course it's sexy because you shouldn't yeah uh and we're not able to kind of extend that definition to like these more risque fantasies and i also think it's important (laughs) for this whole conversation uh, to talk about the difference between fantasies and practice. Yes. Uh, and how folks can fantasize about things and find ethical ways to enact them in, like, role plays or, you know, kind of sort of that situation or et cetera. Uh, and there are some things that folks can fantasize about that there are no, eth- like, or very few ethical ways to enact. Yeah. Uh, and they're allowed to have those fantasies. Yeah, and I mean, I think that there was a time in human history when if you had a fantasy along these lines that was not at all culturally accepted, that you would just have to keep it in your own thoughts and maybe like between you and your your porn sites. Um, but now, like with kink being more acceptable, I mean, it's it will be tricky to find a partner who is on board with your, you know, cannibalism fantasy, not to say that they're going to let you eat them, but to say that they might, you know, participate in dirty talk about this fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. They might entertain you um, when, when you want to talk dirty about it. They might, um, you know, be able to role play it to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like that stuff, uh, you know, there are some people for whom their fantasies are so intense that they they are not satisfied by doing that type of role play. Um, but in my experience, having some taboo fantasies, like even just talking dirty about it often kind of scratches that itch for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, 
So one thing I've always kind of grappled with Mm -hmm. is this myth, right, that you start to explore kink and you start to explore sex and, you know, you go to these play parties and dungeons and soon normal sex just isn't enough (laughs) and you start getting into the really weird shit. Right. (laughs) Gateway drugs, yeah. Exactly, exactly, you know, that one paddle, man. Uh, (laughs) And so here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Part of me wants to be like, no, <laughs> and the rest of me remembers my history. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and like there is a degree of like certain things aren't taboo anymore. Mm-hmm. So if I continue to want to play with this, these ideas of taboo, mm-hmm. I have to continue to explore what has become taboo for me. And sure, part of that is because I do this and this is just kind of my life now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also part of that uh, is from a lot of the like self-development work I've done that has come with it mm-hmm. to unpack a lot of the cultural shit that we're swimming in yeah um and been able to find certain things less taboo because i recognize the roots of them and i've kind of unpacked some of that tangle of patriarchy and misogyny and racism that has built up our culture (laughs) yeah some of it certainly yeah i think like the, the concept of taboo is uh interesting to me because kind of as you were saying like the, a lot of these kinks that I fetishize are, like, they are taboo, certainly, um, but I don't know that the taboo itself is what is interesting me about them, and I hear that a lot, especially mm-hmm. in vanilla culture. Like, when I see vanilla people writing about sex for other vanilla people, there's a lot of, like, you should try this thing, like, you know, spanking, because there's, like, some taboo involved, and I just am at a point where I, I don't really view spanking that way. Um yeah. Which is not to say that, like, you you are, like, less, uh, you know, sexually evolved or whatever if you do still have that perception. And I think if it increases your enjoyment of certain acts, that's fantastic. Um, I just, I guess there are very few things to me that are still taboo. Like, one of them that I'm thinking about recently, I'm going to make another note on my content note list here, is blood. Um mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I had already written that one down. Wow, we've covered a lot of stuff. Um, Yeah, because I've been playing with um, vampire gloves with my partner recently, which if you don't know what those are, they're like leather gloves with little metal spikes in the uh, fingers and thumb. And oftentimes they're just used for a sort of like gentle sensation play, a little bit scratchy. But if you do impact play uh, where someone's slapping you while they're wearing a vampire glove, like there can be blood. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, like, I guess it's a taboo. Like, I think it feels very intimate to me to share that with my partner, like, because that's not something I've really done with anyone else. And it is like literally like my, my life force, this, this part of me that's inside that nobody gets to see is like coming out in this very like consensual and safe way like we we do a little bit of like light first aid afterwards so it's all cool um but yeah that's that's been an interesting taboo for me to play with recently yeah and i think there's something so visceral too that like comes with playing with blood Mm -hmm. like there's a degree that i think is kind of hardwired into the keep us alive part of our brain (laughs) that sees blood and is like something is very wrong yeah uh that should not be on the outside uh and it can put you in like it can kind of drop you into very vulnerable position very quickly yeah um and you can, like, play with some fear stuff with that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've heard talks about uh, people in dungeons playing with uh, paddles that have, like, sharp bits on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw one. I have one on my wish list that's, like, gorgeous uh, that has uh, almost these, like, crystals on it. Mm-hmm. Um that will like bring up blood but then you got to do the whole like dexter kill room with the plastic to like corner off an area (laughs) to play with stuff like that yeah yeah definitely with uh especially with stuff involving like bodily fluids you will want to look into the safety info about them and like Mm -hmm. molina's book is a great resource for that like she talks about some of the basic stuff you would need to know but like for example because my partner's vampire gloves are leather which is porous uh now that they have my blood on them they cannot be used with anyone else so those are mine now, essentially. <laughs> I have stolen them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, stuff like that is important to keep in mind. 
Um, another thing that came to mind since we were discussing like, the, the difference between fantasy and reality is I, I've been watching a lot of videos from the spanking fetishist Jillian Keenan recently, who also wrote mm-hmm. Sex with Shakespeare, which is about her kind of like discovery of her spanking fetish through reading Shakespeare. Um, right. And uh, and so she is like a really big advocate against what she calls state-sanctioned child battery, which is just uh, the status that it is legal in many places to spank or beat your child in a disciplinary way. Um, mm. And it's so interesting to me that she is so vocally against this. Like she has done a lot of advocacy work around this issue, but at the same time, Spanking is her fetish, and she has been really outspoken about, like, that adults should have the right to practice BDSM um, and to live out their their fetishistic lives as they see fit. And it's like, some people would look at this and be like, well, those two things are at odds, and I don't think that they are at all. Because what Mm -hmm. she's saying is, if you're an adult and it's consensual and done in a risk-aware way, then it's cool. And if you're not an adult or it's not consensual, it's not cool. And I don't think that that's that complicated of a concept. Right, right. It's it's based on this idea that spanking is a, a it, or can be at the very least a sexual act for folks. Right. And I think it's fairly well fairly widely accepted that we should not be doing sexual acts to children. Yep. Yeah, her assertion is that uh there's a chance that your kid like she was when she was a kid could have a spanking fetish in which case they would experience it as a sexual assault, which is what she experienced. And uh, I have definitely grappled with this myself. I mean, I'm definitely not at a point of, like, feeling comfortable accusing uh, the person who spanked me non-consensually as, like, someone who's actually assaulted me. But, like, I do think that this is a really important issue and um, really points to the difference between fantasy and reality, which are very, very different in intention and practically speaking. Mm -hmm. So let's get into some of the taboos we wanted to talk about. Um... Maybe consensual non-consent is, like, a good way to dive into the deep end. Yeah. Yeah. segue into that, I guess. Yeah. So I've seen people say that there is, like, a broader way of looking at consensual non-consent than just using it to refer to rape fantasy, rape play type of stuff. But I don't really know very much about its applications outside of rape type stuff uh, or sexual Mm -hmm. coercion type role plays. But so, like, how would you define... Uh, consensual non-consent in like the ways that you use it i would say it's a role play dynamic that someone has consented to and has negotiated and understands at the very least in the broad strokes of what's going to happen i feel like uh, especially if you're not particularly close with someone we should have fairly precise negotiation for a scene like this yeah um but at, at the very least in the broad strokes uh where they have consented to play with the idea of not consenting. Mm-hmm. Um, to communicate as if they don't consent in, you know, some degree or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may look like this, like, very cliche rape role play that everyone talk that I think a lot of people think of when mm-hmm. they do this, you know, the screaming and the fighting and the, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, but it could also be things like playing with coercion, playing with, like, intoxication and date rape type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that kind of just plays with the idea of your ability to say yes and no to things. Yeah, and this is where, uh, I mean, I don't entirely know where the concept of a safe word originated, but this is where it's really useful, because mm-hmm. in a in a not role play or not CNC type of kink scene, um, if you say stop or, like, hold on a second or, like, I need a minute, um, someone will quite often, like, listen to you and, and give you that. Whereas mm-hmm. in a CNC scene, you might very well want to be able to yell those things, no, stop, I don't want this, whatever, and still stay in the scene because it's part of the role play you're doing. So this is where a safe and, word becomes important. Yeah, and, and to build on that, um, so I might have a safe word because I do a lot of CNC role plays, um, but I don't necessarily overlap cnc with like my impact but you totally could right Mm -hmm. people often think of this as a sexual thing but it can be you know holding down and punishing the schoolgirl who no i didn't do it i didn't mean it no stop it hurts ah right um 
And that's still a thing, right? Someone who wants to be able to fight back mm -hmm. uh, in whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, one of the things that Molina talks about in her book is, like, it is very easy in this type of scene to start um, believing in some sense that it is real. And that's part of what is magic about this type of role play, right, is it can feel mm -hmm. very real. But she talks about how sometimes... Um, there may be a come down period after the scene where you don't want to see that person um, because you feel on some deep emotional level that they have actually violated you. And so she really strongly recommends for uh, any type of edgy taboo play that you have a third party person, like a friend or something, who is available for you to reach out to uh, for aftercare or processing or any of that stuff. Because this is like very heavily charged stuff and you might not want to look at that person's face for a while if they've just been um, assaulting you in fantasy, if not in reality. So I think that that's a really useful tip. Mm -hmm. I think uh, if you actually, if you want to hear uh, a little more detail about what that can look like. She tells a really great story of a race play scene she did on an episode of Risk. It's called Slave, uh, and her her story is, I believe, the entirety of the episode. Um, it's a really intense story, but it's a really great one, um, and it's a really great illustration of uh, what a really edgy uh, scene playing with Taboo can look like uh, and how it can go wrong, but also why someone might want to explore that uh so we'll link that in the show notes i think it's definitely worth listening to yeah and one of the things molina recommends also a lot in her book is the idea of like pre-processing all of the issues that you plan to incorporate into your scene before you mm -hmm. ever do that because it is so easy for stuff to come up during the scene that you didn't even know you felt like um i've been noticing lately with my partner occasionally things will come up for me that remind me of the period of my life when I was going on a lot of Tinder hookups, which were consensual, but not always enthusiastically so. And um, in retrospect, like if I had had more agency and more bravery and was more assertive, I think that there were lots of cases where I would have said, you know what, actually, I don't want to go back to your place. I want to go home. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are certain situations where like, especially if, like, someone is initiating sex and I don't yet feel turned on. That's, like, a big, like, trigger for me to to kind of slip back into that time period. And I get sort of, like, panicky and dissociate-y. Um, and, like, as someone who is, like, really vocally perverted, like, I've often been like, yeah, CNC. Like, I totally want to do CNC scenes. And, like, there are elements of that in a lot of my scenes. But uh, I've actually noticed that a certain type of CNC scene is, like, really not pleasant for me. And it, it, it's good to know that before you try to do that type of scene. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also good to recognize that you may not know what parts are really uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, I think what's important to notice in your story is that uh, it happened a couple of times and you didn't, you were always like, really, yeah, I love this. And then you're like, wait, but this one type, this one kind actually doesn't feel great. Yeah. Um, and you may not recognize it right away or something that sounds really fun might not turn out to be fun in practice. And that doesn't mean you still can't jerk off thinking about doing it. Mm -hmm. um, or even remembering the time you did it, even if in that moment, it wasn't exactly what you wanted it to be because brains are weird and fantasy's cool. Yep. Yeah, I think that there is, um, for many of us, a divide between what we want intellectually and like what our bodies want or what we want mm -hmm. emotionally or somatically. Um, and I don't know a lot about this. I know that there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score, which is about kind of like the somatic aspects of trauma. Um, and that's really interesting to me because definitely there have been moments where like I intellectually and like verbally agreed to a thing and was mentally very excited about it. And then something about it physically or emotionally just triggered something where I was like, nope, 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 nope. Like it reminded me too much of, you know, like I, I had a partner once who the way that he spanked me was very reminiscent of the way that I had been non-consensually spanked. Like it was a particular rhythm, a particular just something about the way it felt. And I had never experienced mm -hmm. that with any other partner. And I had a hard time even articulating it because I was like, the way you're spanking me is bad. But I don't know quite how to tell you to do it better, though. <laughs> so it's just, good to just like... Just not that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that it's good to acknowledge like to yourself and to your partner that you might not always have like a super articulate grasp on how to talk about these things. Um, journaling can be helpful for some, talking it out with friends can be helpful for some to kind of get to the root of what you're feeling or what you're wanting. 
Um, and uh, there's also an element of like partners have to try not to take things personally when you're playing with this type of issue, because oftentimes if you're triggering a trauma from a past thing, it may not be something that you're doing terribly wrong. It may just be that it relates to something that happened to them before. And uh, they might very well still love you and want to be with you and want to have sex with you. It's just like you have to kind of set that aside and work through this thing. And even if you both know that the other person knows that like they can come to you with these things and you feel super safe together and you've been together or whatever, I still like to start the scene by saying like and if this happens remember you know you can say whatever and we'll step out and like and acknowledging that it's very late like it's entirely possible that it can happen it's not like if worst case scenario something no like if and when if we're gonna play with this a couple of times it'll happen eventually like if not this time then next time when this happens Mm -hmm. These are the things we're going to do. And not just, you can say red. Right. If I if that's all I know, and I'm in a moment of fear, all I'm going to see is that saying red will change the situation. But I, can, I can't see what it's going to become. I don't know how I'm going to be cared for in that moment. And that may not be comforting to be like, well, this is over, but then what? Um, So to be able to say, like, you know, say this and, you know, you can say yellow and we'll check in and maybe continue the scene. You can say red and we'll start to wind down the scene. And these are the things we have set up that you can ask for for aftercare. And these are the people who are around, you know, have that contingency plan, because especially when you're playing with such heavy stuff like this, Mm -hmm. eventually you will have a scene where something goes wrong. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's not necessarily the fault of anyone if that happens. It's just kind of part of the territory. Um, what you're saying about safe words has me thinking. So, like, oftentimes in, like, non-roleplay, just, like, standard sadomasochistic scenes, my partner will ask me, what color are you? Which is my cue to say either red, yellow, or green. And this is a really, really great tool. But now I'm wondering if there are ways to work this into role play so that it feels natural. So maybe if you're like doing a sexual coercion scene and you're like, I have these sodas uh, that may or may not be drugged, um, which color do you want, red, yellow, or green? Um, maybe there are some scenes in which that, that would work if you talk about it beforehand. So I've definitely done. Uh... I've had, you know, safe words that bring us out of the scene, but I've also built into scenes uh, stuff that fit in character to communicate to me. Because um, I was, so the the role play we were doing was uh, a corruption kind of age play. We were both playing in like the teenage range mm-hmm. um, corruption scene where I was going to be really coercive, right? I wasn't going to... Uh, you know, I wasn't being pushy. I wasn't being physically aggressive. I had asked, you know, are you afraid I won't like you if you say no? Or are you afraid I'll hurt you? Right? Because those are two very different vibes. Yeah. So we were just doing the like, I was, you know, the cool older kid. And you know, you just wanted to be cool. You just wanted the cute older boy to like you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I built into it, um, because this was one of the first scenes I had done with this person. Um, I had them say, you know, oh, you're scaring me. Mm. as something that I would, okay, I'll just go, you know, I'll go slower. This is a little bit too, like, coercive and manipulative and, you know, evil villain, (laughs) wahaha. Um... And I had, uh, I, I forget what the other one was for, like, (laughs) you can be meaner to me, come on. (laughs) Um, and again, and they were things that, like, you know, someone, you know, all innocent totally could say without, like, quote-unquote breaking the mood, while still communicating, their needs in the moment, things that I wasn't sure of and wanted to be able to kind of tweak. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think um, especially subs or especially people who have been like abused or traumatized in the past, potentially, like mm-hmm. may have a really hard time speaking up and even safe wording when they need to. Like oftentimes mm-hmm. in the kink world, we're very like, well, if you have a safe word set up, you're golden, you're good to go. And that's just not always the case because, like, we're human, we're fallible. Like, it's not like we're going to magically be able to stop and protest uh, in Mm -hmm. every situation. 
And so like a safe word is a crucial tool. Also good to have safe signals if you're doing anything where verbal communication might be hindered in any way. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think like active check-ins are really important as well, um, especially for for the dom to be able to do in a scene um, if it makes sense for the situation. Because yeah, like I know so many subs who have a lot of trouble speaking up about this stuff and uh, Mm -hmm. it's, it's really a bummer sometimes. Yeah, as soon as I'm spacey, I definitely get uh, very quiet and initiating some sort of feedback is a lot harder than someone leaning over and being like, you know, what number are you at or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So we mentioned intoxication. Um, Mm -hmm. This can encompass like a really broad range of things. It can involve like role playing or pretending to be intoxicated, whether that's through just straight up like make believe or hypnosis, like we were talking about the past couple of weeks, or um, some other type of just you know pretending. Or it can involve literal like drugging. Like I know people who do really intense like drugging, like potentially mm-hmm. with even like date rape drugs. Um, Mm-hmm. That obviously should be very highly negotiated and um, monitored. I don't think that I would feel comfortable doing that. But, like, you know, I do do scenes with um, alcohol or marijuana um, sometimes to the point where I'm not very communicative. Um, and that those scenes require immense, immense trust for me. Like, back in the yeah. days that I mentioned when I was like going on a lot of Tinder hookups, oftentimes I would like get myself pretty drunk or pretty high so that I could like function in these hookups. And that's like really not the ideal. Um, but being able to kind of like subvert that and do it in this like trusting consensual way with my partner has been really healing about that. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's helped me sort of gain an understanding of why I did that back then and like forgive myself a little bit and understand like when that's appropriate for me to do for myself personally and when it might not be. Um, Mm. So this is a really powerful way of playing. Yeah, I think what's interesting to me about playing with intoxicants uh, is very similar to what's interesting to me uh, about this kind of coercive CNC. Um, And there's certainly some overlap in there. But I think uh, our generation particularly was kind of raised with this, like, stranger danger idea of Mm -hmm. rape and sexual assault. Um, Yep. Of, you know, like, that's what you have to look out for, the guy in the alley who's going to jump you on the way home that you'll, you know, you'll never see again. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, certainly that happens, but that is not the reality uh, of what faces particularly folks socialized as women and queer folks. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's this kind of coercion, this kind of, you know, oh, just get them drunk first, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, you know, your loose morals, this like, that booze turns you into a slut or whatever. These are the narratives that we kind of grew up with insidiously a part of our culture and our media. Mm -hmm. Um, there was that whole run of like college movies back like a decade ago and like super bad and all that. So awful. It's terrible, yeah. Um, with the idea and, being that if you get someone drunk enough, they will have sex with you, which is rape. Right, Just and then you will be rape. a man, and yeah. then you will, and then you will have crossed the threshold into adulthood or whatever. Yep. Um, yeah. So I think uh, I think the fact that that is something that is actually a lot more culturally weighty, right? We mm-hmm. This stranger danger idea is very clearly bad. Yeah. Um, and this other thing is something that societally we've kind of grappled with during our years coming of age, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of what gives it so much weight. Um, because I also really like playing with intoxicants Uh and have definitely played with stuff in scenes. Um, I would say definitely don't be exposed to an intoxicant for the first time during a scene. Yeah, I don't think I... I mean, I have done that many times, but at this point, I'd be a little bit wary of it. I think I would do it if it was just basically vanilla sex, maybe with some very, very light, you know, impact or something. But Mm -hmm. if I'm going to be doing any kind of, like, heavy or intense or unusual kink... With someone for the first time that just seems really risky because it impedes your communication abilities um 
and uh, even like when I'm topping someone who I don't know very well, I do not like to be intoxicated for that. And I don't mind if they are as long as they want that and are comfortable with that and think that they can communicate well. Mm-hmm. But uh, topping while intoxicated for me just like yeah, doesn't no. really it's it's scary. I don't think that I am really that interested in that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was also saying, though, that you shouldn't be exposed to the intoxicant itself for the first time during a scene. Yeah. Right? Um, Oh, I see. If you've never smoked weed before, don't do it with a new person uh, because you want to, you know, play with some corruption scene, right? Or, you know. um, uh, Sorry, uh, shrooms is, like, one that I think of with this because, mm-hmm. so, like, I've, I I had this one friend with benefits who told me very vehemently, you would probably like having sex on shrooms. Sex on shrooms is amazing. And I trusted his opinion, and I asked around. I've asked a bunch of people I know who are, like, experienced with shrooms, and a lot of them have said, basically, like, that might be too overwhelming. You might not be able to manage it, especially if it's your first time on shrooms. And also, like, your choice of partner in that situation is very important because you mm-hmm. might, like, start to have a bad trip, especially if you're with a partner you don't know very well or uh, you have some kind of fraught history with them. Um so, like, pick someone you feel totally, totally safe and comfortable with. And that has made me feel like, oh, maybe I don't want to do that, actually. <laughs> At least not on my first time. Right. Like, you can masturbate. Like, you can masturbate and fantasize. And, like, you know, you have this really hot scene uh, where, like, you've got your partner. You know, one partner is the Mad Hatter. The other one's the White Rabbit. And oh, my God. This is taking, amazing. This is so much Y'all are taking shit. shrooms. <laughs> And go into fucking Wonderland, and you have this whole thing planned out, but you're the only one in the group who's never done shrooms. Go home, you know, plan a weekend, you know, a little while in advance, and fucking try it, and fantasize about the scene you're gonna have, and jerk off, and write about all the great things you want to do during the scene. Mm-hmm. And fully experience that trip at least once, maybe a few times. Yeah. Uh, before you go in and... Uh, and actually experience this with other people, with this layer of kink, with this layer of headspace on top of that. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot going on. There's probably some power. You know the White Rabbit's in charge. He's got a very strict <laughs> timeline. Um, and Mad I'm Hatter's late. just I'm causing late for chaos. for a very important scene. Right, and how are you supposed to focus on your boundaries? Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hey! This episode of The Dildorks is sponsored by Beducated.com, where you can take first-class online courses delivered directly into your bedroom. Dildorks listeners can get $20 off their best-selling female orgasm online course, which is geared toward not only women, but anyone with a vulva and their partners. It teaches hands-on techniques to maximize pleasure and tap into your full orgasmic potential. Use the code DILDORKS, that's D-I-L-D-O-R-K-S, during checkout at beducated.com, like educated but with a B at the start, to get $20 off that course. You can also find the link in the show notes for this episode. Thanks! So you want to make sure that like you are at least acquainted with the headspace you're going to be getting into. Yeah. I also love this because um, it gives you a moment to kind of see. All right. Well, while I'm in this new intoxicated headspace and thinking about this scene, what new things am I craving that I didn't think of? When I come down, can I negotiate for those things so that right. if I'm craving them again, they'll be there? Yeah. Um. You know, what parts suddenly don't feel great? Like, let me make sure I mentioned that suddenly my knee feels really weird. I don't know what it is, but, like, maybe I don't want to kneel for this part. Maybe can we get me a chair to sit in? Right. Like, you know, whatever that looks like. Um, But, yeah, if you're... (laughs) 
if you're playing with intoxicants and kink and sex, that, like, there are so many layers to that. Mm -hmm. You should be uh, very well acquainted with who you are in those different situations before you start stacking them on top of each other. Yes, that reminds me of a couple things. Um, One of them is that I I think the sex educator's name is Ten, and they taught this workshop at a playground conference where they it was about mm. negotiation, and they mentioned that they think you should negotiate from at least two different headspaces. And I think that, that like that tip, even before I knew that that was like a tip, I was kind of doing that without meaning to. And I think it's a really good one because like if you're super high and you're having these ideas that you wouldn't have when you were sober, and you're like texting your partner like, wouldn't it be hot if we did this? Like I always make sure to note when that happens that I am high. Like I want people to know. Mm-hmm. where I'm at so that they can like come to that space with that knowledge and also like, c- like consent to that, <laughs> like, you know? Um, but so then, you know, if I mention something while I'm high, then we probably will reconvene and discuss it when I'm sober um, mm-hmm. to kind of make sure that I actually do want it. Because oftentimes like you're going to want things when you're intoxicated that you might not always want. The other thing that that reminded me of was uh, I like got high on weed like several, several times before ever having sex with a partner on it. And I think that that was a really good idea for me because what I found was that I get really, really turned on a lot of the time from smoking weed, uh, depending on, you know, what's going on in context and all that stuff. And I think that if I had just jumped into doing it with a partner right away, I might have like assumed that I was getting turned on because of the person I was with. And it would have been like uh-huh. a Tinder hookup, which is kind of like a dangerous connection to make. Like I might like mm-hmm. go away from that date being like, oh, that person was really special. I'm so into them. And I wouldn't have been. <laughs> so it's like good yeah. to have that knowledge about myself so that I can be like, well, I'm really turned on, which is very convenient for the situation that I'm in, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with this person. <laughs> yeah, I'm just pointing it in their general direction. Yeah. Um, And I think that raises something that is so, like, we've been talking a lot about the cautions of all of these things and why they're such heavy and weighty things to play with. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think some of the fun of playing with intoxicants is this idea of... uh, it's it's not my fault. I just, you know, I feel this. And you can turn mm-hmm. the idea of being able to turn these feelings up to 11 from the inside, kind of the way we were talking about in Hypno, where you'd turn the dial up. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh, I took this pill and now I'm insatiably horny. There's <laughs> nothing I can do. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> um, or, oh, no, now I'm so vulnerable. You can have your way with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you're able to kind of infuse them with these, like, magic powers. So I really like the idea, uh, we mentioned this, I think, in the Hypno episodes, but I saw, uh, I saw someone teaching a class on, uh, Hypno and drug play, uh, and they talked about just, like, making up drugs that have weird different side effects and cause different things. Yeah. Uh, and being able to be like, now you feel this way. Um, and mm-hmm. that's kind of a cool power and dynamic to kind of play with in a scene. Yeah, I find that weed makes me suggestible in much the same way that hypnosis does. Um, mm-hmm. A recent example of this was when we were on the subway uh, and you had just gotten me extremely high and you were talking about like your surgery and how you were worried that like the drugs were going to make you nauseous and stuff. And I just started to feel intensely nauseous just from hearing you talk about the idea of nausea. And uh-huh. I had to, I had to get off the subway because it was like so much. Well, what happened was your partner and I both saw it, looked at you, looked at each other, looked back at you, and I was like, do you need to get off the train? And the train was, like, pulling into the station, and you were like, uh... And we just looked at each other and were like, we're gonna get off the train! Come on, let's, <laughs> we're just gonna... And you were like, okay, I guess! Right. But so, my point being, um, if you do find that certain drugs or intoxicants make you more suggestible, that is definitely something you can use in a scene. Like your partner can mm-hmm. suggest that this drug makes people very horny or it makes them really want to give blowjobs or, you know, whatever it is. And that's like kind of a fun thing. Yeah. Tell me about poppers, though, because I don't think we've actually ever talked about poppers on our show before. And we had a listener question about them. And I know that they are a very popular drug to combine with sex, particularly in the gay male world. And you have experience and I do not. So tell me about those. Yeah, uh, you actually, you texted me about them. uh, And I didn't realize that I've like probably never talked about them on the show, uh, or at least very rarely. Um, So 
they're uh when you buy them i mean the most common is rush um you buy them as they're either listed as like nail polish cleaner or uh vhs cleaner um basically a chemical in a bottle uh that you open up and inhale the fumes of uh and it gets you high for a very uh short period of time I tried to, so you messaged me that, and then, oh, and I was, like, rushing to get ready for the show, and I was like, yeah, I can totally talk about that, and you you were like, I'm actually running a little bit behind schedule, and I was like, well, better refresh my memory. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Might as well, they are right here. Mm -hmm. Um, And I tried to kind of pinpoint the feeling. Um, It's very short. Uh few minutes at most um i mean like with any high you kind of lose perception of time right um but every everything gets really hot particularly your face Mm. um i will like i feel my heartbeat everywhere like pulsing Mm -hmm. um and then so i used to always hate because when I first started having sex, it was a really long time between that and orgasm, and I used to look up how people, how orgasms feel, mm-hmm. and there were all these, like, colory, colorful, flowery language, and I was like, what is that bullshit? Like, just fucking tell me what it feels like. <laughs> but poppers feel like fireworks. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, just, like, heat. The thought of opening your eyes feels very overwhelming, because it's just sensation. Um, and it's these either, like, waves or bursts of sensation, and then it just kind of fades and goes away. Um, and it's very, like, heady, uh, floaty, a little bit spacey, um, but very short, um, which is why people will often, like, take several hits while they're fucking. Um, Mm -hmm. The issue I have with them is, for me, uh, I've heard people say that they enhance orgasm. For me, they don't. Um, For me, they'll actually either... Uh, I come while I'm feeling the high, and, like, I'm mostly feeling the high, but then there's also this orgasm, and they're kind of two separate feelings, so they Mm -hmm. just distract from each other rather than building on each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, or I have this weird numb space after I come down from the high, if I haven't come yet, Mm -hmm. um, where I'm either, like, take another hit to get off while I have that, like, floaty feeling, or I just take forever and have a really hard time getting off. Um, but either way, the like high feels great, but then the orgasm is not as like interesting or exciting. Uh, so for me, I use them more because I'm into the fantasy of this drug makes you, uh, you know, little cum slut. It makes your holes really hungry. Uh, it does make penetration. Uh, and that's what it's known for relaxing things and making penetration easier mm. uh, I find it somewhat does my hole is uh, sometimes wetter when I use it um, or you know more susceptible to penetration but um, I some of that is kind of just built into the mythos of poppers so I don't mm-hmm. know how much of that is actually like a result right. and I'm generally pretty good at taking large things so like no real tangible change. Um, Yeah, I think that there's probably an element of, like, placebo effect. I mean, not to say that it's not a powerful drug, but I think, like, when a drug is so strongly associated with a particular sexual culture, sexual experience, like, there is going to be an element of, like, your body and brain know that, and so they respond accordingly. And that's what I find hot about it, right? The Mm -hmm. idea of, you know someone behind me reaching around and just holding it under my nose and being like, you know, inhale and then you'll be able to take it, you know, hang Mm -hmm. on. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. Or, you know, just, just breathe deep a little of this for me, right? This, this will turn you into a little slut. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of narrative is hotter for me than actually the feeling of poppers. Like, like I've, every time I use them, I'm like, oh yeah. It's like once a month, and then I'm like, oh, right, I don't actually, like, that was fun and all, but meh. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of our buddy Dick Wound at the Off the Cuffs podcast has a thing about, like, chloroform as a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's talked to my partner a bunch about, uh, like, sleepy sex fantasies, which are related to that. 
And um, my partner has, has like, had an interest for a while in, like, having me try that drug that's called ZZZQuil, which is <laughs> a drug meant to induce sleep. And um, apparently, don't quote me on this, but it is apparently not habit-forming, although I think, like... In a lot of cases, a drug may not be physically habit-forming, but you can certainly come to psychologically rely on it, uh, mm -hmm. which is a different thing. But mm -hmm. um, we've talked about that as, like, a possibility for some kind of sleepy sex intoxication scene. I actually, like, don't super love having sex when I'm so sleepy that I'm actually falling asleep. Like, the other day we were trying to do a scene and I kept falling almost asleep and then I would start to say something from the dream I was having and it wouldn't make <laughs> any sense and my partner would be like what like we're in the middle of phone sex and I'm just saying random things <laughs> and that's like a point I don't want to get to but I do enjoy the feeling of being like moderately sleepy to where I'm like disinhibited and mm -hmm. uh you know but I'm still awake enough that I'm not gonna literally fall asleep yeah, just that, like, little bit out of it kind of silly space mm -hmm. that is, like, somewhat comparable to having, like, two or three drinks, like... Yeah, yeah. That, like, yeah, that little silly window. Mm-hmm. Another taboo I've been thinking about a bunch lately, because it's been coming a lot, uh, coming up a lot at my uh, day job where I do social media for adult industry companies, is forced by or coerced by, which is the term they use when forced is not allowed. <laughs> um, and this is basically a kink where typically a man, although honestly I would be interested to see uh, other genders doing this, but um, a man is quote unquote forced to uh, do sex things with another dude um, as some kind of like humiliation or power play. Like typically the person forcing him is like a femdom or um, some kind of dominant figure mm -hmm. and like i was having a debate with my partner recently like what percentage of forced by dudes or dudes who are into forced by are in fact actually bi or gay and what percentage are straight but just like fetishize this kink yeah i don't really know yeah yeah i i don't either um and I think it's fascinating um, because it's something that I, like, have grown to be more into, mm -hmm. um, which I think part of it is, like, gender feelings. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting um, that I do, to a degree, enjoy that and, like, so, I mean... All right, it's based in the taboo of homophobia, right? That's where that comes from. Yeah, um, and this is like know, a it's, troubling thing. It's emasculating, thing. humiliating, etc. This is a troubling thing with a lot of kinks is like when they are based on a pre-existing social force that you don't agree with, whether it be homophobia or sexism or transphobia or, um, you know, in Molina's case, racism. Like mm -hmm. it's it's really tricky to feel comfortable playing with those things necessarily. Although Molina points out in her book that sometimes you can kind of like fight against that force in your scene. So maybe like the gay kid like beats up the gay basher at the end of the mm -hmm. scene or, um, you know, like she talks about sometimes like going after the uh, white oppressor in her race play scenes. And so maybe there's like some subversion there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've like, yeah. And I've definitely had like fantasies around like queer bashing stuff where like even, you know, the bottom or the person who is getting bashed uh, is like, you know, a masochist and keeps uh, initiating and like, taunting or whatever this mm -hmm. person um and like eventually seduces them or you know i've played with ideas like that mm -hmm. and i think um for me because i have so i've played with these ideas of forced by but i've also uh like had fantasies that extend more into like these ideas of queer queer bashing or even like playing with ideas of transphobia and stuff um and i don't know if it's anything i would ever play with necessarily in person um but as fantasies, it's kind of interesting to take these things that I'm confronted with constantly, non-consensually, just, like, out in the world. Yeah. Um, things that I have to fear just kind of by nature of who I am. Yeah. Uh, and tell my own narratives of them and find joy and pleasure in them. Mm -hmm. um, and in the same way little kids play, you know, cops and robbers, it's... 
I'm playing out the forces that feel powerful in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that I'm forced to think about all the time, the, the, the big heroes are the big villains of my reality. Yeah. Uh, and some of the big scary villains are going to beat the shit out of me because I'm queer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to play out these narratives in the same way I used to play out Batman and the Joker when I was a little kid <laughs> um, kind of gives me a chance to control those narratives and yeah. to, I guess, experience them and take away a little bit of the fear, right? Yeah. Um, kind of... Uh, declaw them a little bit yeah i think like an interesting thing i'm seeing enforced by like porn and stuff like that is like there is definitely a subset of people who like it for the humiliation aspect like if there's a femdom Mm -hmm. there making fun of you for wanting to suck a dick or whatever that's a certain mood but then there is another kind of mode of forced by where it's like uh you're being forced to do by stuff because your dom likes it or thinks it's cute or thinks it's hot or Mm -hmm. uh that kind of thing almost in the same way that like straight dudes will fetishize lesbians which is like obviously a big problem when done non-consensually which is the vast majority of cases um but uh it's kind of an interesting case with the forced by that is more of a positive tone because like maybe it does help people like accept their sexual orientations through this like indirect fetishization i don't know Um, and that's definitely uh closer to how i've always kind of played with it in the ways that i'm into it um Mm -hmm. often like the idea of you know i'm hooking up with the older cool girl at school or you know the babysitter whatever like position of power cliche bullshit Mm -hmm. um And then suddenly her boyfriend shows up, or suddenly, you know, and if I want to keep doing this, well, I guess he just has to get involved, too, and oh, no. And then, you know, slowly you realize, well, this ain't so bad. Maybe I like (laughs) this, too. Yeah. Um, And, like, it it kind of adds this, like, layer of corruption and this layer of taboo, even though, like, queer sex is hardly taboo for me. Like, it's not this weird, scary thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But culture constantly tells me it is, whereas I also play with... With these ideas of uh you know transphobia and stuff which actually are big scary things for me yeah um so i think there there's kind of uh two ways to look at taboo uh and some might be heavier for you than others yeah, one of the things that got me thinking about the forced buy thing recently was I was reading a study which was about kink demographics generally, and they had asked participants to self-identify, and in the sexual orientation section, one of the potential sexual orientations you could choose was forced buy, and it was like a pretty substantial portion of the participants said this, um, rather than identifying as straight, gay, bi, or whatever the other options were. Um, And I found that really interesting because it kind of like uh, speaks to the division we were discussing earlier between fantasy and reality, because at what point is forced by no longer your kink or your fetish, but becomes your sexual identity? Like, that's that's a very interesting line for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think... Yeah, I think for me part of the, I think for me part of what feels so squicky about that is that forced by is a fantasy. Right. It like <laughs> if it is not a fantasy, it is coercion, in which case it is not like sex. Yeah, Um, it almost comes across, like, reluctantly by in that context. But I wish that I had more information from these people about why they chose that, because I'm really interested in that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think think if you spoke to them, you'd probably be more likely to hear the, like, well, I'm not into it unless she is. Right. Right? Like, I don't personally seek it out, but I'm down for threesomes with other dudes. Like, I'm not I'm not a no to dicks. I'm into it if a woman is into me watching it. Right. And, like, a lot of people would look at that type of dude and go, well, you're bi then. Um, right. And I actually, I mean, I don't entirely disagree, but I'm very on the team of, like, sexual behavior and sexual orientation are two different things. And, like, yeah, for most people, they overlap, but not for everybody. And, like, I really don't like the movement of saying that, like, 
uh, you know, there's a whole subset of people who are men who sleep with men, but like don't identify as bi or gay or queer. And um, there's so much like vehement hatred toward those guys, like they saying that they have internalized homophobia, which no doubt like that, that definitely is a factor. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I just don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that one could be straight and still want to have sex with someone who like falls outside of like what society thinks would fit for that. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I want to I want to be careful because I'm sure I have fallen into uh, some binary language through this bit. But like, obviously, not all dudes have dicks. Not all women have vulvas. Some women have, you know, trans people were great. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is just a very binary uh, fetish generally. Yeah. Um, but I think I think it's definitely possible for folks to be really into force by and not bisexual, right? There are a lot of things that I'm into through the lens of power exchange, right? Things Mm -hmm. that I'm into through the lens of service, right? Mm -hmm. Things that I don't find particularly sexy unless someone that I'm very into uh, is, you know, puts the right context around it and gives me the right story to tell myself while I'm doing it. So I can totally see someone being like, listen, I'm not, like, dudes are great, queer people are great. It's, I will not generally seek out someone masculine to date i wouldn't have sex with them in any other context but like if you know through this context of power where someone is you know bossing me into it then suddenly it becomes really hot and i can still really be into this person in this experience and i don't think there's anything wrong with that provided everyone involved knows that's what's going on yeah i mean there's a lot of really harsh debates about the extent to which kink can be an orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't entirely have a fully formed opinion on that. I think it really varies from person to person, and it depends on your definition of sexual orientation. Um, right. But Jillian Keenan talks about how her spanking fetish is her sexual orientation, and one of the ways that that manifests for her is like it doesn't really matter to her the gender of the person spanking her as long as like they're doing it in the way that she likes and they're a good fit in that way. Um, and I wonder if these, like, forced by dudes are sometimes experiencing that kind of phenomenon. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it's very possible. Um, and, yeah. And I think, again, that's a thing to negotiate, right? Because there are definitely, definitely gay dudes that you could find uh-huh. that would be like, yeah, I'll fuck some straight boy who's, like... <laughs> Yeah. Just wants to suck a dick. Like, there are plenty of gay dudes who that's their fantasy, too, But right? they should be able to know what the deal is and say no if they don't want to do that. Exactly. Exactly. There will be people who will be into that. There is no need to, like, be manipulative or be shitty. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, so it looks like uh, taboos are going to be a two-parter, folks, because um, we just have so much to say and so many more taboos to discuss. Um if you have thoughts on this, questions, etc., cetera, uh, within the next week for us to consider when we report part two, you can uh, tweet at us or email us at thedildorks at gmail.com. I have been Kate Sloan. You can find my sex blog at girlyjuice.net and the rest of my writing at katewritesaboutsex.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at girly underscore juice. And you can listen to my other podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. It is called Question Box. Where is your stuff? I'm Bex. You can find all my writing at BexTalkSex.com. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at BexTalkSex. Together we're the Dildorks. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the Dildorks and at TheDildorks.com. You can also find us by searching The Dildorks in your favorite podcast app. While you're there, rate and review us brings us up in the charts and makes us easier for other folks to find. If you want to toss a couple of bucks our way and help us keep being great, you can go to Patreon.com slash The Dildorks to do that. And you'll get new episodes of Hypotheticals, our... Uh, Short little episodes where we get really high and ask each other really silly <laughs> hypothetical questions. Yeah, speaking uh, of intoxication play. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll have a few more of those. Uh, we'll have a new one up later this week. Cool. Or we had a new one up. Time travel. Yeah, time is We had a new one up by the time you're listening to this. Go yeah. there. Yeah. If I did my job correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much to Protodome. He did our theme song. Thank you to Amy. She's at Starboots underscore on Twitter. She did our logo. Thank you to our sponsor for this episode, which is Beducated.com. 
Uh, and just a reminder that our coupon code for their female orgasm course is Dildorks, D-I-L-D-O-R-K-S, and that will get you $20 off that course. And thank you to you for listening. Until next time, folks, get out there and live your sexy, dorky life. Bye. Bye. I think this is going to have to be a two-parter. Yeah, there's so we're much. long-winded lately. Yeah, we really are. It's fine, I'm into it. Do you want to talk about age play and incest role play? <laughs> Can we do that in like 10 minutes? <laughs> Is there another one that we, like, have less feelings about and then we can open with age play next week? (laughs) Okay, what about forced by? Hmm. Yeah, I could do that in ten minutes. Okay. Okay.